Wednesday. It means it's interview day. Uh, I have Tiffany Baxter hanging on. She's going to be with us in just a moment. She's pretty cool, man. This gal is the owner and operator of Oklahoma's first fully mobile butcher shop for beef, pork, lamb, and goat. And uh, she's got an operation where she'll take a 36-foot trailer, pull it up in a customer's backyard, dispatch the animal, process the animals, package the animals, all, you know, it comes to you and takes care of everything. Uh, when I got this app to have her on, I was excited. I thought this was a really great business model and a really great story. So we will have Tiffany on in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is KnifeKits.com. KnifeKits.com makes it so easy that anybody, even a person like me, can build a knife. You can uh, check out their site, see all the cool options they have. Uh, but what you can do is you can pick up kits that are basically the frame of the knife. Then you pick out some handle material, maybe some pins, etc. They also have books, DVDs, and stuff like that if you need uh, some help figuring out how to actually do this stuff. But it's really pretty easy to get started doing this with the kits. Uh, you know, they also have everything you could need for making leather sheets, Kydex sheets, Kydex holsters, all that good stuff. Check them out today. They've been with us forever, and I mean forever, since 2010, knifekits.com, and they do a discount for members of the MSB. Next up today, bulkammo.com. Do you know what a gun without ammo is? It's a really expensive club, That's all, or maybe something you can barter for some money. A gun without ammo cannot do its job. You can't train with it. You can't defend your property and your home and your family with it. You can't put meat on the table with it. It's just a big, heavy, expensive club. So that means you need to stock up on ammo. You want to do that at BulkAmmo.com. These guys have been with us over a decade now. Uh, really loyal sponsor, discount for MSB. So check them out today, again, uh, at BulkAmmo.com. With that, let's bring our special guest on, uh, Tiffany Baxter. Tiffany, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks for having me. Can we start out? I want to talk to you about this business you've set up and how you got into butchery. But before we even go there, like, what's your background? Because you probably weren't like, I don't know, in, in junior high or high school thinking, I'm going to grow up and run a mobile butcher shop. So what what did you do professionally before you started doing this? And, and then how does that lead you into butchering? So I was a bartender for 12 years. Uh, I was in restaurants 16 years total. Um, during that period, that's when I started my farm, which kind of transitioned me into butchery. Um, I did work in a shop for a little while, but uh, ultimately it was COVID that pushed me into the business model of backyard butchery. That's that's interesting. And there, I think there's a common theme in that. And some folks we've talked to lately that are in that space that, I mean, the place near me, that I would have beef processed, you were on like a nine-month wait to get an animal processed at the, at the peak of the COVID, right? So during COVID in Oklahoma, it was a two-year wait list. Um, you were making appointments for animals that weren't even born yet. <laughs> it, was, it was insane. It was complete insanity. And I think that's actually probably the only reason the state 
decided to approve the concept because I actually threw this concept idea at the state probably 2018 or so, and they denied it. Okay. Um, and then, and then furthermore, like they originally only allowed or wanted to allow me to do small ruminants and I had to push a little harder to get them to let me do cattle. And so, um, and now I'm doing, I just did my first bison. So we're doing everything. That's really cool. And I guess, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, even for bureaucrats. Uh, they, 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 I think we're going to need more things like this going forward because more and more people are getting into raising their own animals and what have you. And um, it's just not feasible in a lot of situations to handle this with the traditional uh, federal certified or even state certified slaughterhouse model. Right. And there's actually a lot of niche markets for what I'm doing. So if you have a downed or injured animal, um, you have to walk that animal across the kill floor. If it can't walk across the kill floor, it's it's not getting butchered here. So that's one thing in particular that I, I, I knew it would be a niche. I didn't realize how big of a need that was going to be. Um, and then on top of that, we have animals that you can't trailer. Um, aggressive animals, I deal with all of those on a regular basis. Hmm. Yeah, I saw something on your Instagram about bison. Yeah, I just <laughs> yeah, I think it was something to the effect of I'm terrified or something like that. Like <laughs> they're they're big animals. They I was nervous that my gun wasn't gonna be big enough, but it actually um it went down one shot, so I was pretty proud of myself and um I got to keep the hide on that. So we're gonna Oh wow. We're gonna tan that hide and hopefully mount it up in my new wild game shop when I have it open. There's some value in those. A lot of the places that do buffalo hunts now, like if you want to keep your hide, you got to pay extra. So uh, right. that's a, that's a, that's it goes in the wind column for sure. Um, so b- mobile, going with this mobile model, is that mainly why you did it? Because it gave you that flexibility, or was it, you know, is it kind of an all of above? It's also kind of like a workaround, like you know how people do tiny houses, and they build them on trailers because a lot of rules don't apply to them anymore. Like, is that why you did this? You know, I'm going to be honest. Um, when I was looking at building like a full shop, I was going to spend $4 million. So the first issue is I don't like business partners. Um, I didn't want to take out some huge amount of money, you know, and there are grants for USDA shops, but that was super politically motivated here in Oklahoma specifically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting any additional funding to do that was not going to happen. So um, I was trying to find a way to make it happen. And I'd had this idea, um, like I said, years ago. And the original idea was to do a mobile poultry processing unit, but the demand is not there. So, you know, I'm a numbers person. When you run those numbers, like the demand doesn't it doesn't uh, support a fully mobile processing unit just for poultry. To me, the money's not there even with higher demand because it's people will only pay so much to have a bird processed. And there's a certain amount of time you have to spend to process every single freaking chicken. That's There's a dude that does them, same guy I'm talking about. They, they do them for four bucks a bird. And I don't know how to make any money, but I'm not, I'm not processing a bird for four dollars. Right. Like, here you go, man. Go make them, do them all. I would charge double that for one bird. And I can, we timed it one time. I can do a full chicken start to finish in about four minutes. Um, But 
you know, you really need an assembly line of people if, if you want to be successful in it. But it really just comes down to the demand because there's just not that many people that are raising enough poultry, um, especially in Oklahoma, because we have the tightest poultry laws in Oklahoma. Okay. Um, and that's how I got my start in butchery just personally is I was raising and butchering about 100 chickens every few weeks and selling that meat. Um, we couldn't sell it at the farmer's market. And actually, I just found out we did just get that passed. So we can now, as of, I think, this year or within the last month or so, um, start selling those birds at a farmer's market. So I'm hoping maybe some people will, you know, consider raising poultry locally and, and doing that. And maybe that will raise the demand for poultry. But I mean, I, at this point, I'm out of poultry yeah. processing except for teaching some classes. Yeah, to me, it's kind of one step above eggs as a business model, right? Because there's a lot of work to each individual bird, and I got to deal with convincing this person to pay me $24 for a chicken and, and process a cow or a pig, and you don't have to explain the value of half a pig to somebody. They just buy it, or uh, they, you know, if that's their own animal and you process it for them, they get why they're paying you. Where I don't know, chicken has this cheap mentality, right? Like people think of chicken as the cheap thing. And so to me, the volume you have to do as a producer, let alone a process, is, is it's really big. And I think it's where it's gotten to be more and more people that are farming for a living are dropping poultry from what I can see. And maybe they're using it to build up initially because it's a cheap sale. But eventually, as they build up a beef or a uh, pork operation or something like that, they're like, I'm I'm, I'm tagging out of this. Yeah, so when I was raising poultry, I found that people would spend the money on a Thanksgiving turkey because it was a once-a-year special occasion. They're happy to spend 100 or $125 on that bird. But, yeah, it was definitely an issue getting people to spend 20 or $25 on a chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just that. They, want, they just want skinless, um, boneless breasts, you know, and I'm not going to break down those animals and end up with, a bunch of thighs that people don't want, you know, because then now you're going to have to sell breasts at $10 a pound or 15. I don't even know what it is anymore. 14, 15 bucks a pound. And yeah. then you have to sell those thighs at a, at a smaller amount. Um, I think since COVID, maybe that has changed a little bit. Um, but you still go to Costco and it's a $5 bird. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, if people are eating chicken that many days, you know, several days a week, and they see a $5 chicken at Costco, they're going to, that's what they're going to do. The The economy is terrible right now. People are going to save money where they can. Yeah. Yeah. And um, how do you handle aging? I mean, like when I buy uh, a cow, there's a guy down the road from me, same place that I talked about getting my processing done, does that processing. We run the loophole thing. He takes the animal down there. I split it with another person, but we sign for the meat at the processor. But when he takes that animal down there, it'll be there for 10 days or more before they'll call me and say, okay, it's hung long enough. How do you want your cuts done? So it gives it time to hang and and age. How are you handling that when you're pulling up in my backyard, dispatching a cow, stringing them up, processing them? how, How does that work out? So originally I was going to build a walk-in cooler and the state approved it and then they changed their mind. So I had to change what I was planning to do with that. 
So at this point, the customer, the client is going to have complete control over that. And we're um, everyone that has beef butchered by me is aging it in their own fridge or mm-hmm. um, a lot of people use an ink bird or they use a convertible fridge and they're able to get that down to a 34 to 40 degree range and then they can age it easily um, up to two weeks. You can technically go six weeks. I wouldn't. Um, but you could also just do it in regu- regular refrigeration, either before you cook it or before you freeze it. I prefer to do it before you cook it just so I can take it out of the package and let any juices kind of come off of it. Um, but I've had great reviews on that. Clients are extremely happy with their product. Um, I would eventually like to get back to doing some kind of aging. Originally, I was going to do dry aging, but after a year and a half of being in business, I can say that there's not enough animals built well enough for that. So, um, and I think there's a lot of misconception in what people get back from their processor. I think a lot of people think that they're getting dry aged beef when essentially all it is, is that animals hanging in a walk-in cooler. So if you can, if you can put it in, if they put it in a refrigerator, why can't you just put it in your refrigerator? It's just at that point, it's broken down. It will age a little faster. Um, but technically it's just called wet aging. Um, that's essentially what you're getting at most restaurants, unless it's stated otherwise, that's what you're getting at the grocery store. Um, and when I worked at a prime steakhouse, we would regularly do a blind taste test and we all preferred wet aged beef. Um, yeah, I do like dry aged beef as well. That's why I wanted to do that, but there's just most beef in Oklahoma is grass fed. And yeah. there's just not enough cover for that to make sense doing dry aging. You would end up with beef jerky. Yeah. Yeah. It's dry aging isn't, I think, what a lot of people think it is. It's it's kind of a, you're building the funk up on the outside and you end up with quite a bit that needs to be trimmed off. And uh, it really, it does work better with your high fat uh, count, count cuts and animals. Um but the, I was more concerned just with any aging, because if you have zero age on me, then then you've got issue. But I guess you're right. Like anybody that's going to be raising cattle is going to have some level of infrastructure on site. Like you, you don't raise, you know, a couple head of cattle in the back of your suburban yard with your one little dinky refrigerator in your in your garage. You, you probably have some level of infrastructure to handle things like that. Um and plus, you're the you're the processor, not the agent, right? So, like, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not leaving um, like I'm not leaving my freaking trailer here with you for you know if you had a reefer van or something. I'm not leaving it here for a month so you can have 30 day HB. I I mean, there's I know people that have done stuff like that, and I've considered it, but it doesn't make sense. So um, when you can just go on Amazon and get an ink bird and, and attach it to your deep freeze and you can change the temperature to age it where you like. And then also that gives the client complete control over it. So mm-hmm. some people might like it aged, uh, more than others, you know, and also certain animals might need to be aged longer. If you've got, you know, a six year old bull, he's going to need a little more time. And, you know, a longhorn's going to need a little more time mm-hmm. if you've got, and the cute little year and a half heifer Angus bread, she's, she's not going to need nearly as much time. So it gives them complete control of it. And I tell the clients, um, you know, taste, pull something out, taste, test it and see if it's as tender as you want it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, I think a misconception about aging in it that it changes the flavor of the meat. 
that's not what aging is doing. It's actually just controlling the tenderness of that meat. It's essentially, um, it's rotting. You know, it's a, at what level decom- decomposed meat do you want to eat? It's, this is the truth. This is the truth. What, what's your craziest story? I had a guy on a couple of weeks ago, him and his kid. I asked him what his least favorite animal to butcher was. And I thought he'd say poultry or something like that. He said goats. And I really didn't. I'm like, I don't know, man. Goats are pretty easy. And then it ended up being that when he had to shoot the goat, like the goat did like a head jerk move and they ended up having to fight the goat like a Kung Fu fight or something to put the goat down. Um, stuff happens. Animals don't always want to graduate to uh, bovine university or whatever. So what's the kind of the craziest things ever happened since you started doing this? Oh my gosh. There's so many to choose from. Um, I mean, I went to a job and stayed for a tornado that happened, you know, I'll give you a couple here. Um, (laughs) my wrist open, you know, at a job, I did a C-section. So that's a really good one. I I went to do an emergency, a cow broke its leg. I always assume they're pregnant. I wish I would gotten a little more of a heads up as to how pregnant Mm -hmm. she was. And so, I shot her. She dropped. You have three minutes after an animal goes down to pull that baby out. So I sliced her open. I've got like blood just straight in my face, you know, because you there's no time to bleed. And yeah. I'm shoulder deep in this animal as it's kicking me in the, you know, I've got the yeah. owner with a chain around the legs trying to control the death throes. But essentially, you can only do so much. And, um, yeah, we ended up pulling the baby out. It lived for a little while, but it, wow. unfortunately, it didn't. Um, it didn't make it much further than that. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of crazy stories. I've. I I don't even know where to begin. Um, I deserve a TV show. I think at this point, <laughs> someone needs to pick up pick up a camera and just follow me around. But I mean, I would agree. I think I know who that was. Kyle Peralt. Uh, I would agree. It's going to be lamb or goat. That's my least favorite for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just more difficult in every way possible. Um, And they're usually, you know, I, you have to get right up behind them and catch them and taking a distance shot. I don't. Okay. I was like, that's my solution to everything. Yeah. while you're drinking beer out of your bowl of corn, you get shot in the back of the head from 20 feet away and done. <laughs> but but I'm all, I've also never had to try to C-section an animal in death throes because I think that's the thing that people don't realize is that animal can be dead. And it doesn't mean it doesn't move. And oh, no. you're talking about big animals here, right? Like it's one thing when you're dealing with a goat or a, a pig, like a, a smaller pig or whatever, but a cow or a big pig, um, yeah, I mean, we shot pretty good size uh, guinea hog up in West Virginia at one of the workshops we did up there. She was big for a guinea. She was really big, and we wanted to bleed her out, too, so we shot her in the head, dropped her, and then stabbed the heart to completely bleed out everything. And I near took my finger off when I went to to, to do the stab because the way that this animal bucked. And it was stone dead. I mean, we shot it with a... Youth load, 30 odd six load, dead center of the freaking brain. But they'll still, I mean, they can be very dangerous if you do not handle yourself properly. Right. I mean, I've had pigs take four shots with not a lack of a good shot, you know? Yeah. Just 
and I've had bullets ricochet. That's happened. Oh, pigs, yes, especially. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was on a bull, actually. Okay. This was an old dairy bull. Um, it was an old pet. I don't know. He was probably 10 years old, had a big oh, wow. corn plate. And, you know, when I first started Backyard Butchery, I was treating it and working like I was working in a shop. You know, I had to basically come up with my entire own um, methods, if you will. You know, the things that you're doing in a butcher shop don't translate on a trailer. It doesn't work that way. So I was using a 22 mag on cattle because that's all we used in a shop. Um, no, <laughs> I went out and bought a 350 legend the next day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're the very dangerous. A certain size, the sledgehammer has to get bigger. That's just the way it works, you know. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, you know, Greg Judy. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a fairly well-known regenerative rancher. He really built his whole legacy on cattle, but he switched to sheep. Uh, as he's gotten older, just because they're smaller, easier animals to deal with. And he's 36. Right? I mean, it's like, just, we're not playing around here. <laughs> like, if you need to go, you need to go. Um, and he, he's not so much for slaughter because he's he's raising thousands of animals, right? But um, he uses that when they jump the fence. If they jump the fence, it's not that long before the other ones figure out they can jump the fence too. So when one jumps the fence, bang. And that's just personal meat for the house. And at 3006, done. And uh, so I, I, I'm always, there's a book by Robert Rourke that was written in the 50s called Use Enough Gun. And I, I've always stuck to that philosophy. If it's more than I need, then it's enough. If it's as much as I need, it may not be. <laughs> but uh, cool. Yeah, upgrade the caliber. What uh, what do you think the future looks like for this type of operation? Like, I've never heard of anybody doing things exactly the way you're doing before, but it it seems like it's a nice little niche to slide into, and it seems like there's probably more business there than you know anybody needs. I'm I'm, I'm sure you're not worried someone's going to come take all your business or anything. No, there's definitely um, more need for butchers now than ever, and more people are homesteading. More people are trying to raise their own meat. Um, I don't, I don't foresee this being the only unit in Oklahoma. I bet someone's going to come up with another one. I get emails and calls constantly. Um, I'm pretty vocal on TikTok and Facebook. So I've had people all over the country that want to know how to get started in mobile butchery and they want to see my plans. You know, I'm not handing them my design or my business plan on a silver platter, but I do. Um, I do certainly invite anyone who wants to open a mobile butcher shop to come work with me one day. And I say that because I think I maybe look, make it look easier than it is. You know, you just see blips of it online, yeah. but the reality is that you're out there in a pasture. You may not have cell service. I'm out there by myself. On top of that. And I've got, you know, potentially a 1500 pound animal. I have till the end of the day to put it into packages. If I have any electrical issues, um, not to mention just getting the rig in, I'm 52 foot from head to toe. You got to be able to pull a rig. You've got to be able to shoot a gun. Sometimes you have to shoot from a distance because again, aggressive animals or untrailerable animals. Um, I've had to shoot from the road before. So you got to be able to pull a rig. You got to be able to shoot a gun from a distance and not screw it up. You still got to be able to butcher. 
Um, and butchering fresh meat versus frozen meat, completely different. It's oh, God, not, yes. And there's no one around to teach you how to do that. That's why I said I really had to develop my own methods. I've become more of a seam cutter than a box cutter. And which has actually been really cool because it's got me into more craft cutting, which has been it's it's rubbing my nerdy um, okay. side a lot. You know, I'm really just loving that. Um, but also the the elements. So, you know, this is Oklahoma. It's 100 degrees easy, you know, several weeks out of the year. And then you turn around in the winter. You've got 30 degree weather. You've got stuff freezing. Um, your water lines are freezing. There's just only. I took a hard job and I made it harder for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, I do love it. Don't get me wrong, but I think that maybe that's why I invite people to come. Like, I think maybe people don't realize the reality of it, not to mention like just the financial investment that you're going to have. It's not the same as opening a full shop. You're not going to have millions in it, but you are probably going to spend as much as you would have spent on a house. You know, you're going to have six figures. Okay a couple six figures yeah. in it. Um, and then you're going to have like right now I'm dealing with a bunch of broken stuff. So I, I go to work and then I come home and I go to work. Um, so right now it's kind of the center of my life. No, I get it. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch to unpack there. One is the difference in cutting cold meat versus, you know, warm meat, body temperature meat. It's night and day. If someone's never done it, they really won't understand what you're saying. But like just deer, when we would bring them home, if it was going to be cold that night, we'd skin them and hang them down in the cellar. And, and, and taking that animal apart the second day was not just easier. It just looked nicer, if you know what I mean. Like when you're you know, pulling like a tenderloin out from underneath the, the backside or whatever you're taking. Like I usually mostly bone out a deer and we'll take like the whole uh, backstrap and one, and you just get nice, clean off the bone, pretty cuts. And as you start taking chops into segments or roasting the segments, you get these nice clean cuts. And I'm not saying you can't do it when that animal is still warm. If that's the right term, not cold and hard yet. Just put it that way. It's just not as easy. No, and, you know, it took me a while to really nail down bone-in cuts. So running a bandsaw on warm meat, if you will. I mean, I do have AC units in there. It does cool down quickly. Mm. And in the winter, in the winter, it does help as well because it'll, it'll cool down even faster. Um, but, you know, I'm still doing fully custom. So if you want bone-in pork chops... You know, if you want uh, bone-in chuck roast, whatever you want, I'm going to make that happen. And um, it took some time to really nail that. The one thing I don't like doing still is bone-in ribeyes. That just because the nature of the ribeye, um, it, it will tear up that, you know, outside muscle. Yeah. Um, so I prefer to do those boneless. And, and most people don't care about that. I mean, that piece of rib is not doing anything for your ribeye anyways. Oh, there you are. Sorry, that's someone was trying to call me naturally. Right. Um, so, yeah, the, the bone-in ribeyes, like I said, it's not doing anything for that meat anyway. And um, yeah. I've, I've stirred up a lot of arguments online about tomahawks being a waste of money. Um, if you like to look at them, they're worth whatever you want to pay for them. But it doesn't taste that. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Um and I know people want to get all wadded up about that, but it doesn't. And it's in your head. 
the only way bone makes a big difference to me is if you're doing something where we're actually cooking the bone and it's a low and slow, like an oso busco or something, and we're cooking that marrow into the juice. Well, then there's a difference, right? Because then you're actually extracting something if we're making a broth or something. You're throwing a steak on the grill just to finish it up. No, you're, you, it's, it, I don't care what you say. It doesn't taste any different. Right. And I, I've been going to us all now. They're fitting to drag us is what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been really vocal about that because essentially what you're after, like what is adding flavor from a bone is the marrow. Correct. Okay. So you're only going to get that marrow out if you're cooking it, like you said, low and slow, like roasts, bone broths. That's the whole concept. Yeah. A piece of rib meat where there's, hardly any marrow whatsoever in it to begin with correct that's that rib bone it's doing nothing for you just do a bone and just do boneless ribeyes i mean when you're when you're cutting your own animal cut it however you want Um, when you're going to like a restaurant or you're going to the grocery store you're just you're getting charged by the weight so paying for that rib bone it's which is going to weigh a significant amount you know considering um you're just wasting your money Essentially, in my opinion, I mean, I think it's a waste of money. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I really didn't think about the bandsaw issue, though. That's 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 an issue when you have meat that's not hard. That's yeah. Um, I've, I've perfected it though. If you go look at some of my photos, because I've had people call me out on it before. They've asked, like, okay, well, are the cuts pretty? I'm like, let me show you. Let me show you. Um, you there's. I've figured it out. I've done pretty, I, I'll give myself some credit. I've, it's taken a year and a half to get to this point. I've done a lot of, you know, fine tuning and I'm still fine tuning and I'm probably going to always be fine tuning the process, but I'm really proud of where we're at now. Um, especially on pork, like those bone in pork chops are coming out looking awesome. So, um, like I said, really the only issue is going to be those bone in ribeyes for me. Yeah. I, when I was a kid and I first learned to do deer, we always left bone in a lot of the cuts. And we would do things like make the cut on the flesh with the knife, and then we used a hand bone saw. And it just seems like way too much time and way too much work when you're doing something for a living to me. Uh, and that's why I went to mostly we, we take primals off bone. I mean, it just makes everything so much easier. But I can see people wanting bone in pork chops because they do look nice. Yeah, no, they look great. And, um, you know, I, I gave up a handsaw the minute um, I opened Backyard Butchery. If it doesn't, if it doesn't cut with a Sawzall or the bandsaw, then it's boneless. Yeah, I've, I've become a pretty big fan of the Sawzall for a lot of things. And I'm processing smaller animals, but yeah, pigs are up to a few, few hundred pounds and larger deer and all like even just hawks, just the, Freaking saws all right off. Um, last time I went down to where I hunt deer, none of the none of the guys that were taking deer down there were taking the hawks and the shins. And I, so I came home with like half a cooler full of them because really? it's just Dewalt and just yeah, I'll take that one and I'll take that one and I'll take that one and they just didn't think it was worth you know for that little bit of meat down there and it's some of the best meat on the dead gone animal flavor wise and you will get your bone flavor with that. Right? you know you're talking about um from a customer standpoint what are some of the advantages of of choosing mobile butchery as a customer so 
the animal's not stressed whatsoever. That's a huge, huge difference, and especially in pork, um, if an animal's stressed before they're slaughtered, even just moments before, um, it will change the pH of your meat, and it will change the, the taste. It can change the color of the meat. I have a lot of information about pre-slaughter stress um, on my pages for a reason, and when I started butchering my own pork, like I couldn't even believe the difference. I thought, okay, you know, this is a fluke thing. Um, and then I did it again and I did it again and I'm going, okay, there's something to this. The flavor of this pork is outstanding compared to, you know, like I've been trying to trailer pigs all morning. That's, they're stressed to hell right now. Sure. You got you got to get them in a trailer, and then you're gonna haul them however far you're gonna haul them to a shop, and they're gonna go into a pen, and then they're gonna single file go through to a chute where inevitably you know they're smelling that blood. And when I worked at a shop, I saw cattle foaming at the mouth and you know stomping at the ground, trying to get out, you know, and we we'd regularly have to use a hot shot to get them through that chute. Um, and that's not good for the meat. You know, I'd say at least 25% of the meat came across the table was stressed meat, whether that was long-term stress or short-term stress. I couldn't tell you that. Um, but there's a huge difference there. Now, secondary to that, you don't have to have a trailer. So if you're new to homesteading or you're new to farming, you can bring a small animal in the back of your, you know, caravan or your pickup Um, and you don't need to have a trailer after that ideally I mean hopefully you don't need to get it to a vet and you've got a mobile vet available if you do Um, but essentially like you can bring home baby calves in the back of your truck that's not a hard thing to do so that eliminates that and it eliminates you know just yeah, but you ain't putting an 18 month old heifer in the back of your freaking truck (laughs) yeah so but, That's a good uh, point. I, I think my big thing is I don't have to do anything. Yeah, like, it's convenience. It, sure. I, if you're running a homestead and a life, you're busy. You probably have a profession, a way that you make money, and processing your own animal or taking it to the slaughterhouse ain't it. And so the fact that I can make a phone call, schedule with you, and then I don't have to do jack shit until you're done, that's, to me, that's the big advantage right there because – if it costs the same, it costs less. That's how I look at that. The place I'm talking about that I go, I don't have to take the animal down there. It's still a 45-minute drive down there and a 45-minute drive back. It's dealing with a guy on the phone trying to explain, no, I want a Denver steak. You don't know what it is. Let me explain what a Denver like, is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like It's that kind. Of, it's not on your standard cut chart. Let me, let me talk to your boss. Like, I don't have to deal with any of that. I can just walk out and show you what I want. And you do it, and once you've done the couple animals for me, I don't even have to do that anymore. The fact that I can basically order my animal processed, and then it just happens, that to me is is a huge value add. Well, and the biggest complaint in this industry is, I don't think I got my animal back, or I don't think they they don't get all of their animal back. So it's completely transparent. You're going to see how clean my trailer is. I wash it out at your farm after every animal. There is no cross-contamination issue whatsoever, biosecurity issue whatsoever. 
And if you want to sit and watch the process, you're more than welcome to. People, if if you think I'm going to steal your meat, I promise you I'm not going to. I have plenty of my own. I still <laughs> raise my own animals. And, um, you know, I really like my meat that I'm raising. But um, also, you know, if it also gives me an opportunity to teach people a little bit. Because sometimes you know that that animal's not going to taste great. Or sometimes you see where they wasted some money on feed. Or you can you can show them a cooney that they fed grain and go, here's your 200 pounds of lard back. Yeah. And I think that a lot of farmers have never even seen the process. They've never even seen their own carcasses. They don't know what they look like. And so I am right there, and I can show you that carcass, and we can discuss, like, what's a better cut option for this animal? Like, I'm not going to tell you that... Um, a Dexter is going to make good fillets like they're going to be basically small medallions. So how about we pull that as a full tenderloin or turn that into T-bones and porterhouses instead? I think that, you know, that gives me an opportunity to have that conversation with you at your farm and discuss your cut sheet. And a lot of people, I think, are super intimidated by cut sheets anyway. And so like having me there to discuss those things with them and walk them through that and explain what some cuts are rather than just handing them a sheet, you know, and expecting them to figure it out on their own. You know, I think when people take animals to butcher shops, they're just marking what, what cuts they recognize. Yeah. And beyond that, they have no idea. Yeah. I think it would also be interesting, like for someone like me that actually enjoys doing some of my own cutting, then I only need you to take certain things so far. Where my problem with doing that with my processor is they freeze everything once they're done. So I don't want to go down there and get a freaking chuck roll that's a frozen lump. Right? I don't want that. And, and that's just, you know, because of how long they have the meat and having to have, you know, schedule pickup and all. That's just how they do business. Where if I said to you, like, leave those two subprimals the way they are, well, you'll just do it. And that's, yeah. that, that's an interesting uh, thing to look at there. Uh, the other thing is, like, like you were talking about, people don't understand th- what amount of meat comes out of an animal. I remember when I was a teenager and I got shoot a deer and, like, your, uh, you know, your uncle's buddy would be like, well, bring me some meat as though you had just taken a cow. You know, like, you can just start handing meat out to everyone from this deer that has a live weight of 130 pounds. You're going to get maybe 45 pounds of meat out of it if you're lucky. And this is on your Instagram. I really dug seeing this here. These are examples of different animals and what have you. But, like, here's real numbers. Number 23, live weight, 860 pound. Hanging weight, 485 pound. Meat to the freezer, 369 pounds. And so there's always these people. Here's another example. I'm not sure what this was. Maybe it was a sheep. I guess that's what that picture is in the background. Uh, Live weight, 135 pounds. Hanging weight, 69. In the freezer, 57. That's pretty analogous to a whitetail, and I can't tell you how many people I've heard tell me, oh, they stole my meat, or they didn't steal your freaking meat. You just don't have an idea what the actual yield numbers are. So I like that you're putting that up there. Right, and a lot of times it's not that they're stealing your meat. Some butchers are just lazy. Like I know I did a video on that as well where a lot of butchers just toss out that rib cage if if you don't want your ribs back. They're not boning it out. And also, on the wild game side, what caliber gun did you use and where did you shoot it? Because if you blew out the whole shoulder and you expect to get that meat back, you're wrong. And that's why I'm already regretting my decision to open a wild game shop. I'm already talking myself out of it when I I talk about stuff like this because that's 
ultimately why I've I got him with a 44 and 240 <laughs> grain expanding hollow point right in that shoulder. Now get me my meat. You can have everything right up to the hole. The hole's about the size of a freaking softball now. Right. right? And you got it's bone fragment everywhere and bloodshot. Like, yeah, that's that sounds about right too. I, I every guy I knew when I was a kid that had his deer processed was sure they were taking his meat. And I and we always self-processed. And when they tell me how much they got, I was always like, I, I don't think anybody took anything from me. Now, I do think in some situations, did you get the meat back from your animal? Could be legitimately a question. There are, and I think that's back to laziness or something. But I think most places don't pull games like that. No, I don't think they do. And if they do, it's probably not intentionally. Mistakes do happen in the bigger sure. shop that you're going to. The more people that have hands on your meat, um, the more problems you're going to have. And and one thing that people don't realize is depending on your grinder, like a lot of shops use a specific, you know, a larger grinder and they're going to take three or four cows and they're going to grind them all up together. And that's something I disagree with immensely. Yeah. Um, but they have to, you know, they can't run a 20 pounds or 50 pounds at a time. They've got to run 150, 200 pounds at a time because it has to push enough meat through that auger to keep it going. Makes sense. And so that's that's a regular thing that happens around here that people may or may not be aware of. Um, but I, that's why I started those real numbers, if you will. And I try to make them comparable as far as cuts, you know, um, I have kind of what I call like my traditional cut, which is all of the cuts and then whatever ground is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to put a description of those animals a little bit, what information I do have on my like Facebook posts, Instagram posts. Um, so people, cause, cause sometimes it's a longhorn, you know, sometimes we got 200 pounds in the head, you know, and that's, <laughs> that's, yeah. and that's something that also like backyard butchery, we, I specialize in that as well, because those, um, these local stores, they don't want certain size horns going through their pins. Uh, they, they, a, they won't fit through a shoot. Um, B, they're going to tear them up. So, and, um, also they're going to want it back anyway. You know, typically if you were to drop that animal off, you got to show up the next day to pick up that head if you wanted it. I'm in your backyard. I'm like, here it is. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Anything you want back, you can have it back. There's no issue. There is definitely. You just take away. Because, again, I think when people think somebody's taking their meat or whatever, they're, they're basically wrong. Um, but then you don't have to have the discussion. Here, here. It, it, this is your animal. Here's what's left. Yeah. Do you, you, oh, you want this here? You can have the butthole if you want. I don't care. <laughs> you know, like, it's up to you, you know? Um, but I do think there is like this mismatch in people's minds between the size of the animal and the yield that goes to the freezer and it, uh, off a cow. It's still a, ha- a half beef is a lot of freaking meat. I remember the first one I bought from this dude up the road and I think it just, the ground was like 65 pounds of ground. I mean, that's right. a lot of freaking, I think I did like 15 is chili meat and the rest is just plain ground. And then, you know, chop, uh, you know, steaks, New York strips and ribeyes and everything. And it, it was, it, I'll tell you what, if you're not raising your own beef, if there is someone you can do this with, like we're talking about here, you know, buying from somebody else, it's the way to go. Um, you, you can't compare it to what you pay in a grocery store. It's, it's night and day difference. It's, it's a fraction of the cost. Yeah, it's a big hit up front. 
But what I like about what you're doing is you're enabling people to do more stuff like this because it's very conceivable that someone could basically say, yeah, you're processing this for me. And what they do with their meat after you leave is, I don't know. I mean, you know, like, or you kind of do it even above board, above below board, I guess the way you put it, like we're doing down here where I'm actually the customer of the processor. I'm paying the producer one fee and I'm paying the processor a separate fee. And I've already paid for the animal before it's slaughtered. There's no reason you can't do. I mean, there is actually nothing different that you would do, but there's no reason you couldn't structure it that way. If I was raising couple head and I wanted to sell, I wanted one for myself and I wanted to let two of my buddies split one. You can do that. Absolutely. And I'm still custom exempt. So people can sell shares and I've been keeping my eyes open for this prime act. If it gets passed, um, I think it might have a chance. It's been, they've tried to pass it a few times, but this time it looks like it may actually have a chance. So if it gets passed, then my clients will have the opportunity to sell those cuts direct. So um, that, yeah, that'll be really interesting to see if that happens. But um, essentially, you know, what, what you do with your meat when I'm gone, not my business, not your business. (laughs) There's always a way I like, I did the turkeys for a few years and I just had people come pick them up and take them to the processor themselves unless they wanted to sell process. And then they paid me on the honor system on, on the, on the dressed weight. That's just how we did it. And, I, and I, what I liked about that, I didn't have to do anything. I, I try to structure my life where I have to do as little as possible. So that way I could, it's not that I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything I don't want to do. So I don't want to process turkeys or drive them. You load four broad-breasted bronze turkeys into some dog crates. You need, you need help to load them up. They're 60, 70 pounds a piece. Live weight. I mean, they're big animals. Um, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> so, um, do you have any insights for people who are raising their own meat? Oh gosh, that we, that could be a whole episode in itself. Um, yeah, so I think it's important to research your breeds first, um, especially in pork. Pork is the biggest variable that I see because you've got lard breed pigs, and then you've got commercial breed pigs. Heritage breed pigs, all of that um, meat varies so 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 much. It's it's not uncommon for me to go to a farm, and someone talked them into getting coonies, and they're upset about the size of their pork chops. That okay. happens. Yeah. Or they fed them grain, and they've got a hundred pounds of lard on them, and you know I'm going to charge you for that. So yeah. I think it's really really important you research your breeds, and you research your breeders where you're getting these animals from. Um, I don't recommend going to auctions. You know, I can't tell you how many animals I have shown up to process and put it in a trash bag instead of processing it. Mm. Um, it was infected or it had something wrong with it. Um, that's that's not the place to go. So when it comes to cattle, you know, it's a, it's the same, essentially. And a lot of people think they're getting something from a breeder, and they're not. You know, I go to cut it, and I'm like, this is clearly not what you thought it was. So... That's my my best advice. Just do all do your due diligence. Um, don't go and buy a thirty seven hundred dollar lamb from North Carolina and not do any research from the guy you're buying it from. It's a very specific <laughs> number that sounds like it actually happened. <laughs> for another day. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, that makes sense. And it's amazing to me people will. Like, there are people that will spend a lot of money on an animal just because somebody charged a lot of money. So they figure it must be what they said it was or they wouldn't ask for that much money. Exactly. That's like, please don't go buy a car tomorrow until you cure yourself of whatever's wrong in your brain because that's not how it works, you know. We're like, well, he said it was. Oh, the nice man that smiled at you when he took your money said it was. That's that's shocking. That's surprising. Right. Um, yeah, I guess I would also tell people, like, go in easy on this stuff. Like, you don't have to try to grow everything for you and your entire family, extended, included, in the first go-round. Like, take your time, pick a thing, do a thing, get it processed. Uh, whether you do it yourself or have someone like you come do it or take it to a facility, get it into your your diet chain, you know, start eating it, using it, and then figure out what do you really want to do next? Because, and with that, like infrastructure, 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 before you get the animal, get everything the animal needs, because it will grow faster than you think it will. Exactly. If it happens with chickens, it's going to happen with pigs and cows. I mean, because you know what happens, people bring like the eight little chickens home and they put them in a stock tank in their house and, Three weeks later, they're flying around the house and they don't have a coop. Like, don't do that to yourself. Give yourself some space and some breathing room. Right. And I and I think a lot of people. Can you hear me now? Yes. OK, yeah, yeah. there was a like an emergency alert that just went out. Oh, the October 4th thing happened. I don't know what. The, yeah, that that's what it was. See, it was a conspiracy. It was all just to screw up my interview with you. That's I'm so sorry. I didn't know that that was happening today. I, I know that I heard about it happening, and then I didn't. No, uh, that's what it was. I didn't compute. That's what it was. Okay. Oh, so, my goodness. So something did happen. They yeah, yeah. My podcast. Anyway, now i got to try to figure out where we were. We were I think I we were no talking idea. about people uh, raising their own meat. Yeah. And you were talking about something, but I don't remember what. <laughs> it's okay. Um, what we could do is we can move on from there and we can talk about what about advice for people who want to butcher their own meat? Uh, if you want to butcher your own meat, um, start with chickens. Yeah, start with chickens. Um, definitely take a class if you can or watch somebody first and see if you can even stomach it. Um, you know, I hired some guys in the beginning and I had a guy throwing up on the side of my trailer. Swear to God. So like what I'm saying is, and have a backup plan if you can't like, because you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised, uh, how many people will call me. They're like, well, I was going to butcher it, but I was going to do it myself. I'm like, I'm sure you were, I'm sure you had every intention. And then you got really, really attached to that animal. And now um, your four-year-old daughter is crying in your arms. You know, let's just have plans in advance, have a backup plan, maybe go see it done first, take a class. That's why I teach classes, actually, is so people can come to my farm, they can watch me process an animal, and then it gives them an idea of what equipment they need, um, you know, what it takes to do that process. And oftentimes people leave that class realizing, no, I can't do this. Um, this isn't for me. And sometimes it may be, especially if they're dealing with beef, you start getting these bigger animals. It's not, I can't do it. I don't want to spend the money to buy the things that I need to really do it the way that it needs to be done right. Because 
there is a huge difference in processing a lamb and, and, a, and a cow. I mean, it's it's a massive difference. A, a lamb is about the size of a deer. I process deer in my garage. I use a freaking picnic table as a counterweight and throw two pieces of rope up over the, 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 the top frame and just drag the thing back as a gambrel to pull it up and throw a piece of cardboard underneath it for any blood that drops on the floor. You ain't doing that with a freaking cow. Yeah. I literally just had someone call me uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday. And he asked if I would come and slaughter it and leave it in quarters so he could break it down. And I said, okay, so how are you going to butcher it with what equipment? And he's like, Oh, you've got a good point. Yeah. And I'm going, you didn't even think beyond like how you're going to do this yourself because you know, I have friends that butcher pigs regularly on, you know, girlfriends of mine, but it takes them two days to do one small, like, coony pig. Mm. You know, you're talking about a hundred pound hang weight, like, essentially the same amount of meat as a deer or a little bit more. That's, that's hard for me to understand why that takes so long, though. I mean, a deer in 25 minutes. Uh. <laughs> if you've got the equipment, you know, yeah. I can do a lamb and, like, 10 minutes, but yeah. um, that's not including slaughtering it. Of course that takes a little longer, but it, it just depends on what you have and what you're working with and how familiar you are, how many times you're going to have to rewind that YouTube video um, yeah. while you're doing it. I kind of rank jobs in how many beers. So a deer is like two beers, you know, <laughs> and one's after you're finished. Right. So it's just, it's a really a one beer job. Um, what, what kind of classes do you teach? You mentioned that you do classes. Yeah. So I just started doing beef classes last year. Um, I do poultry class. I do a, I'm going to do a goat class this year cause I've got some goats that I need to rid of. And then I'm going to have a couple of pork classes. Usually the pig classes are the most popular. Um, and the beef classes, I think our beef class sold out in three hours last year. So um, a lot of people just want to see the process. They just want to know where those cuts come from. Like even just for people that are going to the store and buying meat, they don't know. A lot of people just don't know what cuts come on a whole animal. And so that's why I've done a lot of educational videos about that. Just giving people an idea like this is what, you know, the, all these cuts, you got plenty of options here. Um, so those those are at my farm typically, and the beef one. Sometimes I do it with another friend, and we we tag team that one. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, we've had some people right here that are from Oklahoma. I know saying you need to be doing their butchering for them. How do they get in touch with you? Oh, I'm super easy to get a hold of. I've got a website. You can contact me there. All of my my phone number and everything is on there. Um, but I also have Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. I'm pretty vocal on all of those as well. And I do have uh, Tiffany's website and all her social media in the show notes for today's show uh, on the audio side, which if you're watching the video, there's a link right down there where you can get over there. If you're watching it live, it'll take about 30 minutes from now because we're not done yet. So if you click on the link now and then tell me it's not there, it's because we're not done yet. And there's at least one special person every episode. It's like the link doesn't work because we're not done yet. Anyway, <laughs> if you didn't get that, we're not done yet. Anyway, this was fun. It's kind of cool that we actually figured out what happened. 
Um, I haven't had my like super alarm go off or whatever yet, but we'll see if that happens to me soon and what, what disruption it causes. Um, thank you for being with us. I thought this was a really great interview. Uh, I think people really dug it in the live feed. Uh, folks, definitely take a look at what she's doing, even if she's not somewhere where she can help you, because I think you can learn from what she's doing, uh, whether you want to do it yourself or maybe talk to somebody else about doing it or look for somebody doing this type of thing in your area. I think it's something we really need. More and more people want to start raising their own meat. And this is a part of it that a lot of people are going to struggle with. You're right. It's, you know, you're eating your friends. I mean, that's, yeah. that's well, one way I hate to put it that way, but on some levels that's, that's, you know, you can get attached to these animals and there's a difference when someone has, you know, 40 freaking pigs that they're raising for market and they're going to take a couple for themselves. And some of that has two, when you have two of something, they end up with names and I, I don't suggest names, but if you're going to name them, I suggest names like chop and bacon and burger. Uh, those are better names to, to keep it in your head because People do get attached to animals, and I, I mean, I understand. I'm a my, my dogs are like family to me, so I get being attached to an animal. But uh, that's going to be a situation that you know people might have to deal with. And if they have someone else to take care of the processing for them, that's one less thing to deal with. And then it, there is something to paying people to do a thing that they do well because it's the thing that they do all the time. And you know, if you're going to process regularly. It might be worth really developing that. But if you're going to process, have one cow processed a year, the cost of the material, et cetera, like you were saying, like they don't have to do what you did all in on everything because they're not trying to make the state happy and, and what have you. And they're not going to have a mobile trailer or whatever if they're doing it just for themselves. But it's still a lot of money to invest. And it's a while before you're going to pay yourself back on that equipment if you're only doing it for yourself. Right. Just a grinder is going to cost you, you know, five, six hundred dollars. And then, a, you know, if you need a vacuum sealer or something like that. And, um, you What's know, a bandsaw cost. Oh, gosh. You know, this is not your little Porter cable bandsaw for making wood projects for high school. Right. Right. And I want to tell people to pay attention because I am planning to get some online classes put up. Um, hopefully by the end of this year. So these pigs that I've got right now, they're going to hopefully be my um, stars of the show for some online classes. And so I can reach people a little further away. Okay. We do have some questions, even though you don't do poultry. Uh, Finn says any tips on dispatching a few roosters would be appreciated. <clears throat> Upside down, slit the neck, bleed them out. I mean, so, I use PVC cutters. Don't get the ratchet kind, okay? Obviously. All right, um, all right. <laughs> PVC cutters work beautifully, and you can take that blade out and sharpen it or replace it as you're doing it. I also use that the PVC cutters for, like, the legs as well and the necks. So um, I honestly, I use a cone. Um, I get the biggest cone I can get from, like, Wright Farm or whoever I bought those from pull their little heads through and I just, I snap their little, their little heads off. That way I hit both jugulars. I don't yeah. have to worry about, you know, Oh, I missed it. I got to go to the other side. Just cut their heads off. I, I wouldn't buy this tool only for this, <laughs> but I have an electric printer made by a company called Drago and I did uh, some culling and I already had the bird, cut and dead before I tried it because I wanted to be sure it would work. But 
that electric printer takes heads off like butter. I mean, it's just, just and gone. And like you said, you're not worried about dulling a blade or anything because you can take the blade off sharpen it. You can replace the blade. Uh, and it, by the way, those things cut PVC up to about one inch really well too. As long as it's, if it's new, like I don't know if you've ever dealt with PVC when it's been around a while, like it's brittle. And if you know, if you do that, then it shatters, but new, Nice PVC. It cuts that like butter, too. Anyway, let's move on from there. Uh, Andy says, would dry ice or liquid nitrogen be time or cost efficient? He was asking about aging at that point. I said, well, it's going to freeze it. And then he said, well, what if you were doing it for the, when we were talking about the bandsaw? I don't think it makes a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. I looked into, um, like, blast freezers. I looked into everything. Mm -hmm. And... It just doesn't make sense, unfortunately. I can do. Uh, how many pigs can I process in a day? Uh, about five, average. I did do, but that depends on their weights. So the biggest I've done was a thousand and five pound pig. That was uh, that was a one pig day. That was certainly yeah. a one pig day. Um, if they're that big, it's just one. But if they're average, three hundred pound, yeah, definitely up to five. Yeah, it definitely has to do a lot with the size. I had a friend of mine, I think he gave me back leg off of a pig that weighed like 540. And it was just like the whole back leg. And just breaking down that took some time just because of the pure size of it, you know, and you want to do a good job. But smaller is faster. Uh, Builder of Castles, has Tiffany gone to using a wavy blade or still using a toothed blade? Are we talking about the, the Sawzall blade? I don't know. Um, Let's it's get that line and we'll let him come back on us if he's still here. And so if you're still here, Builder, let us know what you mean by that. Hawks says, what is Tiffany's favorite meat to eat? Mm. Oh, man, that's a loaded <laughs> question. Yeah. So uh, probably pork. Um, don't come after me. I think it's going to be a lifelong journey for me to find the perfect pork carcass. And I'm raising Gloucestershire old spots right now on pasture. And right now, that's my favorite thing. They're awesome. And especially on whey. I like pork finished on whey. I think if you can feed dairy to your pigs, you could take any breed of pig. Go get you a $50 feeder, feed some whey on it. It's going to taste incredible. All right. So next up, Andy says, so then, no, that was the, the same on the liquid nitrogen and dry ice. And we both said no. Um, question from Builder, if... If I ask Tiffany to basically cut to roast and no steaks, no hamburger, because I can do that, is this cheaper, easier? Not by a lot. Not by a lot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do charge um, 50 cents a pound on burgers, so, like, that's the only charge you're going to save some money on, and that's typically going to be, like, 50 bucks. So, no, you're still going to get charged hang weight. Um, I'm 85 cents a pound on the hang weight. You're still going to get charged a slaughter fee. I'm 100 on the slaughter for beef. Um, you know, you can save some money by doing the disposal if you'd like. A lot of my clients will do that. They'll just haul it off to the back pasture and then go hunt for coyotes at yeah. night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Al, yeah, there's a truck roll cost anything. Al just uh, gave us a $10 super chat. So thank you for that, Al. I'll just mention that there. Uh, Andy says, how much do you travel for butchery and how much do you charge roughly? So I'll travel the state. Um, 
I think I've gone as far as like a mile from the Texas border, which is about three hour drive. Oklahoma, anywhere from here is about three hours at the most before we get out of the state. So because I'm only licensed in Oklahoma, that's the reason for that. Um, and like I said, I charge 85 cents pound hang weight. That's across the board. Um, it's 100 on beef. It's 50 on smaller animals. And then from there, it's 250 a mile. That's configured one way from where I'm at in Hera. So you can just type in Hera on your map. I was about to say Maps Quest. That's how old I am. Um, <laughs> on your Google Maps. And <laughs> you can get a rough uh, estimate on that. And then if you know your live weight of your animal, if it's beef, configure half. If it's pork, configure 30% less. And that will give you a hang weight estimate. Here's an interesting question. Don't big pigs develop a strong taste? I, okay. I haven't really noticed this myself. If the, if the animal's handled properly, dispatched properly, and processed properly, I find this just to be a load of hooey. Can I just tell you, this this lady that was raising these two pigs, it was a couple, actually, and they're amazing. Um, they also had a gilt that was 800-something pounds, and the 1,005-pounder was a boar. Okay, I talk about boartane a lot. It comes up a lot. Boars do have a strong taste, or they can they have a strong taste. It's only 20% of boars that actually have boar taint. Um, these, these pigs, no, no. They were fed rice, and, uh, you know, they foraged, and then they had, like, a 14% gestation feed. So I think... A lot of the, if you're having a strong taste in big pigs, it has something to do with how you're feeding it. Um, and if it's a boar, it could be that it's that small percentage of boars that have boar taint. Other yeah. than that, they taste great, honestly. Um, you know, I've got a 700-pound boar out here that I look at every single day, and I cannot wait for that day <laughs> to come because he is, like, the picture-perfect pig. Yeah. Like, just give me, just, just give me a reason. Yeah. <laughs> that big copa in his neck that wants to be cured is a reason enough for me. Uh, hey, I really enjoyed our discussion today. Thank you for being with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. And uh, like I said, we'll get the audio version up for people uh, about 30 minutes from right now. And uh, you'll be able to get over there and get in touch with uh, Tiffany and follow her on social media, et cetera. All right, folks. And with that, I want to uh, thank you for tuning in with us today. It was a great discussion. I knew it would be. I want to remind you real quick, if you guys um, want to come hang out with me and some other really cool people, just a little over a week away now, uh, 14th and 15th in Camden, Tennessee, you can come up there. Uh, you're going to be able to hang out with me, Nicole Sauce, Joel Sallet, and John Willis, and a whole bunch of other cool people. But what if you can't come? Well, the next best thing would be get yourself a virtual pass. Uh, those are now available. Nicole has those available at the uh, Self-Reliance Festival website. You can find a link in the notes below or on the audio side uh, as well. Next up, let's talk about our uh, item of the day today. Uh, it just kind of fits real well with what we were talking about today. I do do a lot of meat cutting here at the house, and this is probably my number one uh, tool that I reach for when it comes to breaking down smaller cuts, deboning, et cetera, everything from chicken to uh, breaking down a chuck roll, what have you. The Victor Knox 6-inch semi-stiff boning knife, 
I, when I put this up, there was a guy that said he actually went to school for meat cutting back in the early 2000s, and they gave him this knife and the 10-inch breaking knife that I also recommend as, as part of, like, his school. Uh, that's just how long this stuff's been around. It's just a great tool. Uh, you can find it at tspaz.com. You can find a link for it in the show notes as well. And uh, you can always help us out no matter what you buy as long as you start your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, tomorrow we'll have an expert council Q&A. And remember, we are now on a four-show-a-week schedule. So when there isn't a show Friday, nothing's wrong. Black helicopters didn't come get me or whatever. At least as far as you know, uh, everything will be fine. Whenever I'm not here for an episode, I get a lot of contacts with people that are worried. Don't worry, I ain't going nowhere. And after tomorrow's Expert Council Show, we'll be back on Monday next week with another episode. We will have some rewinds uh, next week because we do have the Self-Reliance Festival coming up. Take care, guys. I'll catch you tomorrow with another episode. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.